Philippians 3, 1 to 16. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God and by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Suppose that you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? That's a question from the old evangelistic program, Evangelism Explosion. Evangelism Explosion was created in America in 1962, and it's kind of been used all over the world since then. And that was the approach to to come up to people and to ask that question. Uh, If you were to die today, why should God let you into his heaven? It's a pretty confrontational way to get going, but it does get to the point, right? It gets right there. Where are you sitting with God? Lots of people here today uh, might have heard of evangelism explosion. Maybe you have heard that question. You've got an answer at the ready. But if no one has, has ever asked you that question, I want to ask you that question tonight. Suppose that you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Philippians 3, that passage we just read, has something to tell you about your answer to that question. We're going to look at this chapter, this passage, in three parts. Firstly, a question of confidence. Secondly, a radical reassessment. And thirdly, conforming to Christ. There are three parts. A question of confidence, a radical reassessment, and conforming to Christ. So we kick off with a question of confidence. And this whole section revolves around the Jewish 
ritual of circumcision. Now, if no one has ever covered that topic with you uh, tonight, well, I'm going to step in. I'll, I'll do that for you. Circumcision is a Jewish ritual where infant boys have their foreskin removed. It was a physical mark of belonging to uh, the people of Israel, the, the, the mark of being in the covenant with, that God had with Abraham. It showed that you belong to God's people. And in the early days of the Christian church, it was a hot issue because, uh, here's the thing, if an uncircumcised Gentile becomes a Christian, do they then need to get circumcised as well? Because surely they, they do, right? Because how do you become part of the people of God without having the sign of being part of the people of God? And so there were groups, particularly of Jewish people, who would go around and push that line. If you're a Christian, you must get circumcised. Now, I'm not sure if you picked it up when we were reading, but Paul does not agree. Uh, Here's what he says about that group, people who want Christians to get circumcised. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for the mutilation. It is fire. He gives these guys both barrels. Uh, And it's even harsher than it sounds to us. us. Jewish people at the time uh, referred to Gentiles as dogs. They were unclean people, not part of us. And circumcision was a virtue. It was this glorious thing, this thing that God had given to them to to note their special relationship with Him. And Paul stabs them and he twists the knife. He says, no, they're the dogs. Watch out for them. Watch out for the mutilation. They want to push on you. Watch out. He says it over and over. He goes on. He says, that's not real circumcision. Verse 3. Uh, Have a read. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit. That we gets the exclamation mark there. It's us. It's the apostles. It's everyone who follows us. Uh, We've got the Spirit. We're the true people of God. They've just got rusty old knives. That's how strongly Paul feels about this. He says it's a question of confidence. Have a look there in verse 3. He says, It's we who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So that two places to put your confidence, uh, to boast in Christ or confidence in the flesh. He says flesh because he's talking about circumcision, but in the Bible, flesh means even more more than that. Flesh is shorthand for uh, everything that belongs to, to this world, to our human nature, our own effort. And he says, what do you rely on, Christ or the flesh? Because Paul says, no, no to the flesh. No confidence, zero. And he should know, he should know. Paul has more reason than anyone to think that religious achievement is the way to go, right? Uh, Verse 4, he lays out his religious resume, And it's incredible, right? Circumcised, eighth day, perfect. Uh, Birth, Israel, of course. Tribe, Benjamin, you know, the the place where Jerusalem is is in, you know, that that place, that's me. Uh, The most Hebrew guy you've met. 
The law, I'm a Pharisee. I keep every single letter. Zeal, I persecuted the church. That's how far I went. Righteousness based on the law, faultless. I have everything. That's my resume. I'd like six figures and a corner office. Thank you. (laughs) And if Paul was going to answer that evangelism explosion question, that would be his answer. He would list those things. He'd present that resume. Surely that would get him into heaven with all that stuff. Except even Paul says no. No confidence in the flesh. This is like Taylor Swift saying, you shouldn't put confidence in fame. Or Elon Musk saying, you shouldn't trust technology. Right? They should know. Uh, But Paul has had a radical reassessment just upside down, everything turned on its head, a radical reassessment of what counts and what doesn't count. Uh, This is part two. Have a look there at verse seven. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. See, it's not that he's just realised that some things are maybe a bit more important. It's actually completely flipped. Uh, That resume that he used to boast about, all that religious stuff that he did, He says, that's become a loss. It's like, imagine he had a religious bank account and he had all this stuff in the credit column and he's just just moved it over, shoved it into the loss column. The stuff that he thought would get him into heaven, he now realises will actually keep him out. Why? Why this radical reassessment of everything he's done up to this point? Well, it has to do with Christ. Because Christ brings a radical change to how righteousness is counted. Now, the argument's there in verses 8 and 9. Righteousness is just a way of saying that you're right with God, that you're in right standing with Him, that He would welcome you into His, His new creation. And before, Paul thought that all those religious credentials would make him righteous would get him in uh, good with God. But that doesn't work. That stuff doesn't make you righteous. It just makes you self-righteous. Because it's all stuff that you do. It's all about boasting in yourself. And so your religion doesn't end up being about God at all. It just ends up being about you and your resume that's not righteousness. That is selfishness, because it's about you. That is selfishness with a religious mask. That is just makeup on a pig. Jesus comes along and brings righteousness in a radically different way, a completely different way. Have a look there in verse 9. It's a righteousness that is from God, not from yourself. And it's a righteousness that is through faith, not through the stuff that you do. And so it goes back to that question of confidence. Christ coming asks the same question as that evangelism explosion question. What will you rely on for your righteousness? Because getting righteousness is a bit like getting on a plane. It's, it's an all-in choice, right? You can't half be in one plane and half in another plane. Uh, you can only get on board one, and once you've boarded one, you can't board the other one. And it's just like that. If you think that you can earn your righteousness through your own religious efforts, 
then boy, you get on that plane and you uh, see where it takes you. And I can tell you, it takes you about as far as any plane would if you have to power it yourself, right, just by pedalling. And that's what Paul's worked out in this radical reassessment. Look at the end of verse 8. He says, I consider them garbage. All these religious achievements, his credentials. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, in that plane. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, Jesus gives righteousness as a gift on the basis of faith, that is trust, just putting your confidence in Christ, that what he's done counts for me. The reformers in the 16th century called it an alien righteousness. I love it. Uh, Not a righteousness that comes from me, from the law, but one that comes from outside me, that is alien to me, that comes from God, that is given as a gift. And Paul says, you have to choose one. Which plane will you board? Uh, Your own righteousness, where you need to to pedal, power it yourself? Or the alien righteousness that comes for free from God? And that's why Paul now thinks of all those religious credentials as a loss, because they actually took him down the wrong path. They took him down the wrong air bridge, right? To the wrong place. And to hold on to them would be to keep trusting himself. And so he says, I consider everything, all that stuff, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He's given them all up, right? He's thrown them out, ditched religion. Not just because they don't work, but because they actually kept him on the wrong plane, trusting himself. In fact, he says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, trusting in him, his righteousness counting for me. Garbage there is the polite term. Dung is the word. It's the word for street refuse, the the litter and filth that you find in the gutter, the kind of stuff that you see stray dogs digging around in. I think Paul means like those circumcision dogs. That's where they're occupied. And if you stop and think about it, it's an incredible way for Paul to describe his religious past. Imagine looking back at your life, uh, how you've spent all your time, everything that you've, you've given yourself to, and just realising that it's a waste. He says, I used to think that it was a privilege to be from the tribe of Benjamin, and now I just think it's gross. It's useless. Worse than that, I used to feel proud that I kept the Sabbath uh, perfectly every time and now I just think, oh, what was I doing? It just drove me deeper and deeper into myself and further and further away from really knowing God and now I just think it's sewerage. See, Paul's had to make a radical reassessment of how he thinks about his own efforts. They're a loss He doesn't want anything to do with them. He doesn't want anything to do with these mutilators. And he doesn't want the Philippians to be doing anything with them either. He just wants to be free of his own efforts. And instead, he wants to conform to Christ. 
This is part three of this passage. It's there in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. See, Paul doesn't need to earn anything anymore, right? Uh, Righteousness has been given to him from God as a gift. He's in Christ. And so he doesn't need to do anything. But he still has a goal, right? Uh, He still wants something. He wants to know Christ. Now, that's about more than just kind of knowing about Christ in the way that you might know about LeBron James if you followed basketball, right? And it's even more than knowing Christ as a person in the way that you might know LeBron James if you met him. No, Paul says, I want to conform to Christ. So he wants his life to follow the pattern of Christ's life. He wants his life to follow the pattern of Christ's life. Like in the way that if you were conforming to LeBron James, um, then you'd become an incredible athlete and win all the time. Uh, That'd be quite good, actually. Um, That's what it means to conform to, to have your life match theirs. Paul wants to know Christ. It means he wants to experience the resurrection power of Christ. He wants to be raised up on the last day when Christ returns. He wants to be with Christ and raised with him. That's what he wants, just like I want a LeBron James body now. He wants a resurrection body to come, right? But if he's going to conform to Christ's resurrection power... That means conforming to his death too. Have a listen. I'll read verse 10 again. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. See, those two things go together. If you want a final resurrection with Christ, uh, it means dying to self now following the pattern of his life, going through what he went through, being rejected for uh, the sake of honouring God. It's what theologians call a cruciform life. That is, a life that follows the same pattern of death now and resurrection to come. Suffering now, bearing cost now because you belong to Jesus and waiting for his return to raise you up at the end. For Paul, that's his goal. He wants to conform to Christ. And that's the thing that drives the Christian life. Uh, Not trying to earn brownie points and get in God's good books, but that drive to to conform uh, your life to the pattern of Christ's life. This week, I got an email from some friends, uh, and in it they said that they are selling their house so they can afford to move overseas and help build God's house. That's how they put it. Uh, Leaving the comfort and safety of Perth to take the good news of Jesus where it's not known. And every year here at Union Church, people follow this same uh, pattern of of dying to self in order to, uh, to serve the Lord Jesus. Every year there's union churches who reshape their lives for the sake of Jesus, even if it sets them back, you know, in their five-year plan or in graduating or whatever, whether that's taking less shifts at work so they can help out uh, with church ministries, 
whether that's going part-time at uni so they have more time to serve at the Christian Union and for sharing the gospel with their friends. Uh, that's it. That's, that's what we do. To give up personal advantage because it conforms to Christ. Uh, dying to ourselves because we have a greater hope to come. That's what Paul wants and that's the thing that shapes his life now. Uh, read from verse 13. He says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See that? He's like, forget all that religious junk. Just ditch it. I want to make it to the end. I want to experience that resurrection power with Christ. And so to do that, uh, he spends himself now willingly, joyfully, because he knows that there is a resurrection to come. So there's there's the three aspects to this passage. A question of confidence, a radical reassessment, and conforming to Christ. And to finish, I want to take those uh, three aspects of the passage and transform them into questions for us uh, to think through how it should impact our lives. So firstly, a question of confidence... Where do you put your confidence? Uh, When it comes to being right with God, where is your confidence? How did you answer that question, the old evangelism explosion question? If God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? So if you're putting your confidence in the fact that uh, you believe that there's a God or because you come to church or the fact that you give to charity then your confidence is in yourself, isn't it? Paul would say, watch out. You you can't power that plane by yourself. You you can't uh, achieve your own righteousness. And watch out, because that takes you out of trusting Jesus and the free gift of righteousness that comes from God. If your answer was something that you do, then you're heading in the wrong direction. And so secondly, do you need a radical reassessment? See, Paul's radical reassessment came when he realised that his religion was actually making himself righteous. And so do you need to do what Paul did? Make a radical reassessment and ditch uh, your religion. Stop counting church attendance or your prayer life or anything like that as part of a resume that somehow you you kind of put it together and you, you submit to God. Jesus doesn't work that way. Righteousness doesn't work that way. God's righteousness is free. He gives it on the basis of what Jesus has done, not on the basis of what we've done. So ditch your own efforts. Get rid of them. Put your confidence in what Jesus has done. That's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you righteous. And finally, uh, if you are trusting Jesus... Are you conforming to Christ now? Here's the real driving force behind the Christian life, not some attempt to earn your way into heaven, uh, but the goal of becoming like Christ. Is that your goal? What would it look like if we took that on as our goal? Well, I think it would change the way we think about suffering now, right? Uh, If our goal was to know Christ deeply then suffering for our faith now will make sense. 
we'll be willing to suffer now because we share a resurrection to come. And even if we don't face kind of outright hostility or violence now, I think it'll, be, it'll mean that we're more willing to bear cost for the sake of Jesus, more willing to be embarrassed or to stand up for Jesus, more willing to give up personal comfort or our own gain, dying to self, because that's what we do. And what would it look like if we didn't take this on board? Well, I imagine it would look kind of the same, a little bit, in that we'd still keep coming to church because, you know, we'd want to put together our spiritual resume and we'd want to uh, keep kind of, kind of being good because we want to pat ourselves on the back. But really, we'd just be driven by how it looks I think in the end, we'd find out that God says that's just garbage. Let's not get pulled into religious performance. Let's ditch religion. Let's pursue Christ. Pursue his life of dying to ourselves now and looking forward to eternity to come in him.